Truth Espresso, episode 53. Face it, we all would rather sleep in this morning. <sighs> That's why God gave us espresso, to kickstart our zombified corpses into hyperdrive. And now, giving your mind and soul the morning shot of truth it craves. This is Truth Espresso with Daniel Minnick. Well, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, whatever time it is that you're listening to Truth Espresso. Welcome. I am glad that you have taken upon yourself to listen to my humble podcast. And it's not just my podcast. In this episode, I have a special guest with me, my very own lovely wife, Chelsea. And Chelsea has been a guest with me on the most recent episodes of Truth Espresso. We've been talking about the topic of abortion and abortion history, abortion philosophy. And the last episode, we talked about particularly the sled argument questions about when abortion is justified, arguments for justifying abortion based on the size of an embryo or fetus, the location or the level of development, the environment, the degree of dependency, and how none of these questions, none of these positions justify abortion because everything always goes back to the question of what is the unborn and how if the unborn is a full human being with its own autonomy, then just as we have the right to life, the unborn as a full human being with personhood should also have the right to life and size, level of development, environment, and degree of dependency are not valid reasons to override the right to life of the unborn. But in this episode, we're going to shift over from some of these simple questions to get into really hard cases, very deeply troubling and emotional cases, cases that involve wrongdoing that would seem to lead to abortion as a justifiable response. So particularly, these hard cases are usually rape, incest, or to save or preserve the life of the mother. And so, Chelsea, welcome to Truth Espresso. Hi, thanks for having me again. And so, Chelsea, we're going to tackle, are you ready to tackle some really difficult issues regarding abortion and see if abortion is justified in these difficult situations? Yes, I think the situations we're going to present are very important because they're probably the most commonly used arguments that pro-abortion will bring up. So um, just helping us prepare and be equipped to have these discussions with others is very important. Okay, so Chelsea, I mentioned three of the difficult cases, rape, incest and the life of the mother and so let's start with rape i mean it's kind of hard to talk about the subject of rape it's not just a crime but it involves a lot of emotional distress on the part of the victim or the survivor and so if someone is forced to 
Carrie or someone, uh, a woman ends up being pregnant as a result of something she didn't even choose. I mean, this, we're not talking about a consensual act here. We're not even talking about an accident between girlfriend and boyfriend or a husband and wife that they weren't expecting a pregnancy. We're talking about a woman having her rights violated by a crime, a an infiltr- infiltrator violating a woman's body. I mean, this is where a lot of pro-life people might get a little bit confused and swayed when we're talking about justification for abortion. And so, Chelsea, is rape a justification for abortion? And if so or not, why not? Yes. So, rape is, like you said, a crime against the woman. And the result of a pregnancy can just cloud that whole situation. Um, Like you were mentioning, that this brings up a lot of emotional and physical and a lot of different um, struggles with the mom and especially if she is um, expecting. However, interestingly, there's only less than 1% of women that get raped actually become pregnant. So this is very rare that a mom will, or a woman will actually become pregnant as the result of rape or even incest. They usually lump those two situations together. So less than 1% of abortions are because of rape or incest. Uh, author David Reardon actually did a study and published a book. His book is called Victims and Victors. And in that book, he shares the life stories of women who were raped and their rape resulted in a pregnancy and kind of following their journey and what they went through. And he interviewed over 200 women and nearly all of those women that had an abortion regretted having that abortion, saying that it the abortion actually caused more trauma than the rape itself and that they were able to, with help and time, overcome the rape. But the abortion was not something that they were able to overcome. And 90% of the women who had an abortion as a result of rape in the study said that they would not recommend an abortion to women in the same situation. And then another statistic that's interesting is that the women that carried their babies to term that were results of rape, they had no regrets of their decision to go ahead and carry their baby to term. So we can see in this study that we are actually seeing the opposite of what the pro-abortion people, the pro-abortion advocates want to show us. So we're seeing through this study that actually women do not feel that the abortion was the right answer in their situation. But the pro-choice movement, the pro-abortion movement, they want to bring this example up as abortion is the best answer for the woman in this case. So, Chelsea, it's interesting that you mentioned that the statistics for uh, pregnancy out of rape is very low. And it's kind of like an argument for majoring on the minors in that basically justifying abortion based on something that's a very rare, very low percentage of the cases where I know we looked at the uh, statistics for the reasons for getting abortions in an earlier episode and rape and incest were kind of low on that spectrum and mostly it had to do with I'm not ready or I don't feel financially prepared or I I need more education, things like that. 
as a man, it's it's hard for me to try to talk about this with any authority because, you know, I'm not a woman. I can't get pregnant. I know that abortion advocates would probably use that as a weapon against me and say, you know, you have you need to keep your mouth shut. You have no authority to talk about this. So, you know, only women could talk about it. And so, Chelsea, you're a woman and you can talk about these issues because you can get pregnant. We have four children. So I don't agree with the idea that abortion is just a woman's issue. It takes both the man and the woman to make a baby, of course, biology 101. But I think that men are very important in the issue of abortion because God created men to protect women, to protect their families, and to protect their children. So we need men who are willing to stand up and protect women and not abuse their authority in the case of rape and overpower women in the case of rape. But if you think about it, we have two examples of using your authority or abusing your position. So if a man rapes a woman, he's abusing his power position by committing this crime against a woman. But in turn, if a woman goes and seeks an abortion, she's using her power and authority over this unborn baby. So there are two victims in that case when we really only need one. So if we take abortion out of the picture, then there's a lot more room and healing for that woman. And again, just going back to the importance of the role that a man plays in the whole abortion debate. And that I think that it's very important. And it's not just a woman's issue because we need both men and women to stand up for the unborn. Well, amen there, Chelsea. You know, we need men and women to recognize what the issue is all about. And kind of as an aside there that that I brought up about uh, men not being allowed in some cases to talk about the issue of abortion because that it's considered a woman's issue. You mentioned that it takes two to tango. It takes a, a man and a woman to create a baby. So it's not like the baby just generated inside the woman from nothing or from only the woman's anatomy and to parallel that i know it's another hot button issue today to talk about slavery say uh, 150 years ago but to bring up that example and think about authority to talk about the issue like could only slaves could only you know in america the african americans who were actually slaves have the right to talk about the issue like let's take for example even in england uh william wilberforce and john newton they i mean john newton found himself in slavery even as a as an englishman and william wilberforce john newton and william wilberforce were both caucasian british men and they led the fight to outlaw slavery in england you know, and I think of um, some of the abolitionists in the United States. There was William Lloyd Garrison and Lysander Spooner. They were not slaves themselves and they were not African-Americans. And yet we shouldn't even think of denouncing them and saying, you don't have a right to talk about this issue. If only slaves were allowed to talk about the issue of slavery, then I don't think we can get anywhere into promoting justice. So, you know, you're right that the issue of abortion is both a man and a woman's issue because we're talking about the 
question, what is the unborn? Back to the case of rape, let's think of the situation that we're dealing with. Yes, we have a woman who is a victim and we have a man who is a perpetrator and a criminal. So in the case of rape, how do you resolve that to promote justice? If a man penetrates a woman against her will, does that give the right to kill the baby? I mean, did the baby do anything wrong? Like, how do we resolve that in a way that really can provide healing for the victim of this situation, which really is the woman? And is there any problem with abortion that would result in not really promoting justice in that situation of rape? Right. So if we view abortion as the answer to the case of rape, then basically we're punishing the unborn for the crime that the father or this man has committed. So that isn't even justice. That wouldn't even make sense if we base our justice system on truth and what's right and wrong. The person that should be punished is the rapist. And not only that, I think it helps with the healing process for the mom if she sees the person that caused that offense against her actually have justice brought to him that it can provide healing for her. So I think in the case of rape or incest that the punishment is due upon the rapist. And unfortunately, we see Planned Parenthood actually covers up a lot of these cases of rape and incest, especially with younger girls. We've seen cases where young teenage girls, they're pregnant out of incest and the father drives them across state lines to get an abortion. Well, a few months later, here she comes back again at the same abortion clinic. Eventually, they're catching on. Okay, this person keeps bringing this young 13-year-old girl to the same clinic over and over, but Planned Parenthood is going to get flagged if they report this. So we see a lot of unreported rape and incest cases with Planned Parenthood just covering that up, which is unfortunate because then we've got these perpetrators out there that can continue doing this harm to these girls, to these women, and they aren't being charged. So I think there's so much confusion. There's so much going on with the case of rape and incest. And that's kind of what the pro-abortion people want. They want to have this sort of smokescreen to make it seem like, oh, well, we need to have the service for these women out here. But then again, if we go back to the statistics and we see, well, just less than 1% of women are actually seeking abortion because of the result of pregnancy from rape or incest. Right, Chelsea. And I would think think that having legalized abortion for this reason, for rape and incest, would seem to encourage more rape and incest because, as you said, it would cover the tracks. It's almost like giving a hat tip toward those activities to say, hey, here, here's a way to resolve that and to allow it to continue by killing the results of it. And then, of course, dealing with in the case of rape, dealing with the emotional struggles and issues of the usually young girl in this case where, you know, she's trying to figure out what really is true and what isn't. She actually can be trying to figure out if she's really at fault or not. I mean, the emotions of this can cause some young ladies to think that they have an obligation toward this rapist. Like, oh, you know, I, I'm not being responsible unless I, you know, 
love him and marry him and and really don't understand um, how selfish he was and how much of a crime this was and how, how that she is not at fault in this. And so I would think that the justifiable solution to this, the one that promotes true justice, would be to protect her, counsel her, give her the appropriate therapy to help her to realize that none of this was her fault and that she needs to heal from this. But if we introduce the issue of abortion into this and encourage her to get an abortion, you know, she might actually have enough pressure on her to think that the way to resolve this is to get an abortion because it might be mentally agonizing for her to think that the genetics of the rapist is inside her. This child is going to be half the features of this rapist. If she looks at the face of this child, it's going to remind her of that horrible act and that's going to cause a lot of emotional trauma. But I think that's something that as long as she understands and she can be counseled to understand who really is at fault. It's a crime. The rapist committed a crime against her and that she's the innocent party and that she just needs counseling and care to get through this. But then it's kind of like to add insult to injury to introduce abortion for this victim of rape then to be pressured into consenting to an act that would end up killing the child. And so now she has to deal with for the rest of her life, the emotional distress over the fact that she truly was part of something for which she was at fault and that she did commit or was an accessory to commit a crime against a baby and ended up killing the baby. And so let's keep the crime of rape separate from the crime of murder and let's keep the victim of rape only a survivor and get her healed from this and not introduce the very difficult situation of killing a baby and then having her never fully recover from this act of rape and always feeling guilty and having to hide that guilt of being pressured in her emotional distress into doing something that actually was wrong on her part. Yeah, I like how you pointed out that there is a lot of emotional distress during this time for the woman and that a lot of times we'll see this is kind of using the women again and their vulnerability to say, oh, well, you don't want to have to deal with this child. You were pressured into even having conceived this child, so you're not ready. And I think that a lot of times you see Planned Parenthood or pro-abortionists really pressure girls and kind of use their state of being distressed to really pressure them into having an abortion, which is another form of using your power and authority over someone who is vulnerable. So again, like you pointed out, Daniel, that it's so important to get these women help and give them the resources to work through the rape and Even if a woman has decided to have an abortion, there are resources out there to help you work through those. A great resource is a website called abortionchangesyou.com. 
and that has resources for both men and women who want to just start on the path of recovering from an abortion and going through that healing process. Now, Chelsea, we we kind of lumped a little bit rape and incest together because they usually are lumped together in statistics, but I want to address incest by itself a little bit mostly to point out some of the idiosyncrasies of where abortion falls into this situation of incest. Perhaps some of the most common cases of incest resulting in pregnancy would be the case of, you know, an abusive dad or an abusive stepdad or maybe an older brother and a younger girl sibling, but I think a lot of the cases are with, say, a stepdad. So what happens with incest and we're talking about the pressure to get an abortion are there cases where say a stepdad abuses his stepdaughter and then basically drags her to an abortion clinic so why wouldn't this be a woman's right thing that she has a right to an abortion to get rid of the result of this incestuous act Yeah, kind of, um, as I mentioned earlier, that a lot of both rape and incest, so now that we're talking about incest, is that it's someone overpowering, someone who is in the position of authority, overpowering someone younger. So if it's a dad, a stepdad, an uncle, a brother, they're using their position their power to use someone younger than them or someone that they see as weaker than them potentially. So you have the crime of incest, but then also they're using that power because a lot of times these girls are underage and they're forcing them to go and have an abortion now. So you have two parts of this that first they're being forced to um, have intercourse and they don't want to, and then they're being forced to go and have an abortion. And that is just a vicious cycle that we see in the case of incest that the girl has no choice and she's being forced to do both the physical act in conceiving and then again being forced to have the abortion. Yeah, so we have cases where an abusive dad or stepdad abuses his daughter, drags her into an abortion clinic, she's humiliated over this act. Of course, he doesn't show any sympathy because this is his way of life. This is how he abuses her. And he. this isn't uh, usually an oops. It's more like a, I'm going to continue to do that. And then so dragging her to the abortion clinic seems to be a way to cover up the situation. Just kill the baby and everything's fine. Of course, the poor, humiliated, emotionally distraught stepdaughter who, as you mentioned, is being overpowered by the abusive parent is then humiliated, has had a baby ripped out of her, killed. She has to deal with that. She also has to deal with her hormones out of whack from this procedure that is against nature. And then she has that fear of being taken back by her abusive stepdad or dad and go back home knowing that there's going to be another and possibly another and another instance of this. And if she ever gets pregnant, it's 
dragged back into the abortion clinic and feeling like she's now responsible for murdering, for being a serial murderer herself. And she doesn't understand then, without proper counseling, what the crime is and who's at fault. And now her body's being destroyed, babies are being killed, and we have a perpetrator who is not being held accountable how would um, not allowing the abortion actually help this girl? Yeah, in the case of incest, if we are seeking an abortion as an answer, again, we're just we're introducing another trauma to this girl's life. And so abortion is not the answer to that. And unfortunately, like I mentioned earlier, Planned Parenthood is covering up these cases of incest or statutory rape, and it's not getting reported. So this perpetrator is still out there. So the best case scenario is we need to report, Planned Parenthood needs to report these cases of incest. They need to report the cases of rape and statutory rape. They need to hold these men accountable so they can be prosecuted. And abortion is not the answer for the abuser's crime or their act. So, Chelsea, when we we talk about these hard cases of rape and incest, it, it really seems to be, after talking about this, that abortion not only is not the solution, but it seems like abortion is kind of even a worse solution for the victim or the survivor of these crimes than even elective abortions. You know, they're hurt even worse. The trauma is even worse. And abortion in these cases can even be responsible for letting criminals go free. It's, it's kind of interesting to think about that when we're considering these hard cases. And yet abortion just adds insult to injury and really perpetuates crime. Those were the hard cases of rape and incest, and so now let's move on to abortion as a solution to protecting the life of the mother. And you probably, Chelsea, you probably have more understanding than I would at the technical and medical issues of this. I think I recall that you had mentioned a little bit about this in our first discussion on this topic, but do you have anything to say about abortion as a solution for protecting the life of a mother that seems like the most valid reason for an abortion yeah i think um talking about the life of the mother and if abortion is justified to save the mother's life is a pretty um, common and seems like it would be a no-brainer that yeah of course we want to save the mom's life but not at the expense of intentionally killing her unborn child. So there is actually less than 1% of cases where the mother's life is at risk and she would have to consider her pregnancy. So we as um, pro-life Christians would say that there is never a situation where abortion, the intentional killing of the unborn child is necessary. So in these cases where the mother's life is at risk, if you consider cancer, um, breast cancer is the most common type of cancer found in pregnancy. And most of the time it's found because the mom is pregnant and she's going to the doctor more often. And so they'll pick up on breast cancer earlier. 
Well, with all the advances in technology, with medications, with treatments, they have been very successful in treating breast cancer during pregnancy and have had very little adverse outcomes with the unborn. So there is no justification for actually the intentional killing of the unborn child in order to save the mother's life during the breast cancer. One cancer that can be quite aggressive but very rare in childbearing women is uterine cancer. Uterine cancer does require surgical removal of the tissue there, which can result in the loss of the baby's life. But in this case, we're not intentionally going in and killing the child. Of course, we're trying to save both the mother and the baby. So depending on how far along the pregnancy is, they can deliver the baby early and then treat the mom. Or if the pregnancy is really early and the baby hasn't had time to grow inside the womb, then there could be the potential for loss of that baby during that treatment. But again, we're not going in and intentionally killing that baby. This is just an effect of helping the mom so she will actually live. So that is one of the cases that you'll see um, where treating the mom could result in the death of the unborn. Um, Another example that's probably the most common example you'll hear people bring up is ectopic pregnancy. An ectopic pregnancy or tubal pregnancy is when the pregnancy implants anywhere outside of the uterus. Most commonly, it's going to implant in the fallopian tubes. It can implant in the ovaries or sometimes even in the stomach, like outside of the uterus again. The problem with the pregnancy being implanted outside of the uterus is that the gestational sac continues to grow and the fallopian tubes, especially if it's implanted in there, are very small. It's the diameter of one of your hair follicles. So that's very small. If you think of this baby and the sac continuing to grow, it can rupture that fallopian tube and cause the mother to bleed to death. So this is the worst case scenario of an ectopic pregnancy. So usually what happens in an ectopic pregnancy is that because the fertilized egg has implanted into the fallopian tube, that's not where it belongs. If it plants in the stomach or in the ovaries, those are not where the egg belongs either, the fertilized egg. So the baby is not going to get nutrients. It's not going to get blood supply. It's not going to get oxygen that it needs to be able to live and to grow. So most often these pregnancies actually end up miscarrying before the mom even knows she's pregnant. And then she might miss her period and go in and they'll see on the ultrasound, okay, we aren't seeing the pregnancy in the womb and they see there's a pregnancy in the fallopian tubes, but there's no cardiac activity. So there's no heartbeat that they can see. The baby has already died. So they are just going to go ahead and remove this baby that has already passed. So again, this is not the intentional killing of the unborn as we see in an abortion procedure. The abortion procedure is going in and with the intention to kill the unborn baby. So ectopic pregnancy, interestingly, has increased in occurrence according to the Center for Disease Control by over 500% since the legalization of abortion. So originally the thought was, okay, if we keep doing chemical abortions, we have surgical abortions, we're going to see ectopic pregnancies decrease and we're going to be doing these to help save the mother's lives and abortions are safe. But with that statistic, women who have one abortion are more likely to have an ectopic pregnancy. 
And women that have had more than one abortion have an even greater chance of having an ectopic pregnancy because I know we talked about the different types of procedures, but when they're scraping the uterine lining to get all the pregnancy out, that can cause scarring in the uterus. And so sometimes the mom is going to have effects from that and she's not going to be able to have improper implantation of that embryo. So again, we see these cases of the life of the mother where pro-abortion people are trying to say, okay, we need to consider the life of the mother versus the life of the unborn. But from the pro-life perspective, we're saying there isn't this versus. There are two lives here. We're going to protect both of them to the best possibility we can. Sometimes that ends up resulting in the infant's death, but that is not the goal and we're not intentionally killing the unborn. And so then one last example, because Roe v. Wade, they have the clause in there about the health of the mom. So people take that to an extreme of what health actually means. Um, Recently, there was a mom I was aware of that actually sought out an abortion because the mom had severe morning sickness. She was throwing up often throughout the day and she couldn't handle that anymore. So she went and had an abortion. Again, the intentional killing of the unborn is never the answer. That's just going to be causing more trauma and introducing that into the mom's life is not necessary. Yeah, I I was thinking of that, Chelsea, about Roe versus Wade. And because we're talking about the life of the mother as a, a reason for abortion. But I remembered that something on Roe versus Wade about the, you know, the clause, the life and health of the mother. And of course, I think it's Scott Clusador who says that basically this combined with Doe versus Bolton, it's a situation that it's a hole that's big enough to drive a Mack truck through, I think is how Scott Klusendorf puts it. Because now with a society that is so focused on philosophy and psychology against absolutes, it's like health can mean anything. You know, even like you have a bad hair day, that's your health. And so if a mom is just not prepared to take care of a baby, then the baby is destroying her health, i.e. her mental health. And so therefore there's justification for abortion on pretty much any grounds, if you can call it the life and health of the mother. But so we just looked at these three hard cases that's really like people could say, well, I'm pro-life on I don't believe abortion can be done for any reason or any elective reason, but the exceptions should be rape and incest and the life of the mother. And so we just talked about those three hard cases, those exception cases, and we realize that abortion is not a solution for any of those. Of course, just on the merits alone of the fact that abortion introduces the trauma, the emotions, and even physical ailments for the mother, even in these really difficult situations, and particularly with the case of the life of the mother, how extremely rare that is, and you say the the ectopic pregnancy is usually once detected, it's not sustainable or the the baby has already passed, has already been miscarried. And so there's no reason for an intentional killing of a baby in that case. And then with rape and incest, intentionally killing the baby harms the mother. 
And of course, even in these three cases, even without realizing how abortion is not justifiable for the after effects, the side effects, if you will, we still ask the question, as we did in the last episode, what is the unborn? So, because of rape, is it justified killing a child? It's still a human being and it has a right to life and there should be an alternative for that. And the crime is jeopardized if you kill the evidence. And in the case of incest as well, um, what is the unborn? Is it a full human being who didn't create itself and has the right to life? And alternatives should be sought for dealing with incest. And of course, as we discussed in this case, killing the child is killing the evidence and could allow a repeat perpetrator to go free and not be brought to justice. And just like presenting DNA evidence in a court to show that a crime has been committed, the baby can be the savior of the mother in that case to stop a crime from being committed, to allow her to be protected by by family or friends or a crisis pregnancy center to seek help to get the counsel she needs and the protection she needs and the supplies she needs and the evidence to convict and arrest and try and imprison or punish a criminal. And then with the life of the mother, abortion is not a solution to that either. So, Daniel, I was thinking of a couple of passages in Scripture where God is telling the Israelites about the consequences of rape or incest and that God laid out what should be done. And if the rape or incest resulted in the pregnancy, his command was for the perpetrator to pay that woman's family what would be the typical fee for purchasing the bride. And so that way she would still be with her family. She would have that support. And then he was responsible for making sure she even had that monetary support. So God didn't say, go and kill the baby because this was the result of rape or the result of incest. And I think there's a reason why, because God saw that that would cause more harm to the women. That would not be helpful. So God laid out even in his word what should take place that would bring healing to that mom. She needs to be with her family. She needs to have that support and that care and that love around her. And in today's society, we're doing the exact opposite of that. So I was just thinking of that when we were having this discussion about rape and incest, just how God has laid out what should be done. And again, just thinking about conception and pregnancy and this new formed life inside the mom, that that baby is also the bearer of God's image. It doesn't matter if it's the result of rape or incest. That is still a human being that bears the image of God and that baby deserves life. That baby deserves love. That baby deserves a chance. And I just really like how we were able to talk about these hard topics today and bring them up because, again, like we mentioned earlier, even though these cases account for less than 3% of the reasons for abortion, they are the most commonly brought up cases that pro-abortions will discuss. So just hopefully this will help equip you with information and some thoughts about how to approach these different topics. Well, amen, sweetheart. The Bible shows the mind of God, and it makes perfect sense. 
you punish the criminal, you protect and provide for the victim or the survivor, and you preserve life because all life is precious and all human beings are created in the image of God, even if they're the result of a crime like rape and incest. And thank you, uh, Chelsea, for those, those wonderful thoughts from the Word of God, and, and thank you for all that information. And So we could see clearly that even in these really difficult situations, abortion is not a solution, nor is it even desirable. And the consequences from it are felt long and wide and are lifelong. And so I hope that this episode has enlightened your thinking. And if you, if you considered yourself pro-life and you thought or were confused about how to handle the issue of rape and incest or the life of the mother, thinking that those were valid reasons to get an abortion, even if you detest an abortion, but now you realize that you can be 100% pro-life and that rape and incest or the life of the mother are not legitimate reasons for killing a child. And we need to remember to answer the question, what is the unborn? That really is the crooks of this entire debate. And under all circumstances, we have to keep asking that question. What is the unborn? And if you can't do it to a toddler, you can't do it to an earlier stage of development, such as the fetus in the womb, which is a full human being. And there are solutions to difficult situations, valid solutions, but none of them are taking the life of an innocent human being who is made in God's image. And so I invite you to stay tuned for the next episode of Truth Espresso, where we will go down the rabbit hole and talk about philosophy and address the bodily autonomy arguments. Even people who support abortion who will agree with us that life begins at conception, that the fetus is a full human being, and that it really does have the right to life, but the bodily autonomy argument basically says that a certain argument for the autonomy of the mother's body overrides or trumps or is higher of a right than the actual right to life that a full human being possesses. And so I look forward to talking about that with you, Chelsea, and I hope our listeners look forward to hearing a discussion about dismantling the bodily autonomy argument. Thank you for waking up with Truth Espresso. Good morning, and God bless your day. Hey friends, Daniel Minnick here again. If you liked waking up to this episode of Truth Espresso, I would really appreciate it if you would rate it on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or whatever application you use to listen to Truth Espresso. 